0: wtbn pinellas park up next is verse by verse sponsored by verse by verse ministries
2: see heaven will not be everybody's home heaven will not be everybody's home because it's a place only for believers he says that in verse 7 and he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, what does it mean to overcome? The term overcomer is not reserved for super-duper saints. It, it, it's not it at all. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 say that an overcomer is he who believes in Jesus Christ. The term overcomer is simply a, another title for a believer.
1: One of the saddest things I hear is when people talk about loved ones who have died and assume that that person is in heaven when that person not only never claimed to have trusted Christ but openly defied Him with words and deeds. Can you imagine what heaven would be like if it included those who hate God? It wouldn't exactly be heaven, would it? No, only believers will be in heaven, and that's part of what will make it the perfect place to live. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Bible teacher Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In his book, The Problem of Pain... C.S. Lewis wrote, We are afraid that heaven is a bribe, and that if we make it our goal, we shall no longer be disinterested. It is not so. Heaven offers nothing that a mercenary soul can desire. It is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God, for only the pure in heart want to. So not only will there be no unsaved people in heaven, but if they were there, they couldn't enjoy it anyway. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21 as Pastor Steve continues this lesson on heaven. As we'll see today, heaven is a place of great beauty, a place of great blessing, and a place with only believers.
2: It's just going to be so beautiful because God is a God of beauty. Gorgeous colors emanating from this city. And then he says in verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Uh, these are not pearly gates. These are gates, which are pearls. One pearl per gate. Imagine the oyster that's going to do this. Uh, and then he says, And the street of the city will be gold, yet it will be clear as glass. It's a lot of this is very symbolic. There's a reality behind it, but, but John's striving to come up with, as he's inspired by God, human language to describe the breathtaking beauty of heaven. You see, heaven is a, is a place, a beautiful place, because God's glory radiates there. He is the focal point of, of heaven, not us. Now, if you have a problem with God's glory now, you're going to have a problem with God's glory in heaven. If you have a problem centering your life around the Lord now, uh, I want you to know that heaven is all centered around him, not us. So, heaven is a place of great, great beauty. Secondly, it is a place of blessing. Notice verse 3 of chapter 21. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. As John is looking at this gorgeous heavenly city that has descended to earth, he hears a loud voice announcing the fact that God now dwells with men. Not in a building. Not in a building. The tabernacle means the dwelling place of God. Think with me, in the Old Testament, God dwelt with with his ancient people first in a tabernacle, then a temple, but now none of that will exist. God dwells with them and his, in, in full blaze of his glory. He is, he is there. No building will contain his glory. God's presence is the most exciting thing about heaven. Not what we're going to be doing and who we're going to see. You know, it is God's glory because his full presence assures us of the wonderful blessings of heaven. Notice some of these blessings. Verse, verses 4 and then into 5. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's tremendous. God is fully there in his glory. And the blessings of heaven are such that it will be a new world. Sin will not be able to penetrate this world. The effects of sin will be gone as well. The things that we struggle with and suffer with today... Will no longer be in existence. Jesus says there'll be no more tears. Imagine that. No more tears. Our experience now is an experience of tears tears of loneliness, tears of hurt feelings, tears of the loss of loved ones, tears from persecution, tears from rejection, tears from tragedy. God, it says, will personally wipe away all tears. Now, I don't think that means that when we get to heaven and we think back in our, in our lifetime of all the things we could have done and, and people who didn't know the Lord that we're just going to burst into tears. I don't think that's the point at all. It isn't that we're sad in heaven and God says, let me wipe those tears away. I think what he's saying is there are, there's no sadness in heaven. You won't have the capacity to be sad in heaven. You will not be crying in heaven. That's what he's saying. It's not that you, you burst into tears and he wipes them away that's not going to be much of a comfort because you might burst into tears again. You know, heaven is not one experience of you crying and the Lord, wiping your tears away. It is the fact that there are no tears. This is just expressed in that language. There are no tears. There will be no sorrow. He says no more death. Imagine that. Death and taxes will be no more of a reality. It doesn't say no taxes, but we know. there's no No more obituary columns. No more sad farewells. No more cemeteries. Death was caused by sin and it has become man's last enemy. Paul writes, Oh, death in 1 Corinthians 15, where is your sting? Death is the last enemy, and here it's totally defeated. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. Now, how is crying different from tears? I take it that crying is the vocal response of sadness and sorrow, and tears are the silent response to sorrow. In God's mind, there is a distinction, so there should be in ours. No more pain. Imagine an eternity without pain. That's physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. We won't have the capacity to hurt one another anymore and we won't have the capacity to be hurt. Incredible. Incredible. It's the blessings of heaven. Now, there are some more blessings that, uh, that John speaks of or he's re- that's revealed to him, verse 12. So let's look at this. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates And at the gates, 12 angels and the names were written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the west. Verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, these are more blessings. As the city draws nearer to John, the first thing he sees emerging from the radiance of God's glory is a wall surrounding the new Jerusalem. That's unusual to us today because we don't build walls around our city, but the, the wall in John's day was a place of protection. It kept enemy, uh, your enemies out. The wall is described as great and high with 12 gates, and each of these gates is guarded by an angel. As I said, in John's day, that would make a lot of sense. They, they built cities usually high on a hill, and, and walls surrounded them for protection from their enemies. But you may uh, wonder why in heaven would you have walls and gates because you don't have any enemies in heaven. You're absolutely right. I believe that the reason there'll be a wall there is, is a visual reminder to God's people that you don't have to ever fear any enemies, just a visual reminder of what God has done. No more enemies, I told you, no fear. You can wear that totally honest. No fear. Uh, This, by the way, gives new uh, depth of meaning to the term eternal security. There will be eternal security, a wall around it. Now, if you lived in the first century, you would appreciate. You would appreciate greatly what, what is being written here, the security and freedom from enemies. Remember, John's readers were being persecuted at that very moment. No more concerns for safety in the neighborhood. No, I mean, it's just, it's safe. There's a wall around it and there are no enemies anyway. Just a visual reminder that nothing evil gets into the city. Now, in addition to the angels standing at the 12 gates, we're told that written on the gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember that Jacob or Israel had 12 sons and uh, these names are written on the gates and written on the foundation stones of the wall. Remember, they're not only in the earth, but they're beautiful and they're out of the earth too. Are the names of the 12 apostles. Now, what does this mean? Why do you have names of the 12 sons of Jacob and then you have the 12 apostles? And it means that for all of eternity, the Old Testament people of God, the sons of of Jacob, and the New Testament people of God, the church, represented by the names of the apostles, will bask together in the light of God's glory. In other words, Old Covenant people and New Covenant people come together forever. No separation. We're going to be with Abraham, we're going to be with Isaiah. We're going to be with Jeremiah. We're going to be with David. We're we're all together. We're all together. All of God's redeemed people will dwell in the new Jerusalem. God may have two programs for, for his two people, but in eternity it doesn't matter. We're all together. Those programs come together and we're just the one people of God. Now, having heard or having told us about the city and its wall and the gates, John writes something else about the measurements. It just speaks of the blessings. Verse 15 And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are angelic measurements. Now, the measurements of the city indicate that it has a square base and that its length, width, and height are equal in size. And the size would be roughly about 1,400 to 1,500 square miles for the city and 216 feet high for the walls, which sounds and probably looks a little odd to us. But uh, you may not realize this, but this is a city of incredible proportion. It's like a continent, actually. I have written down here, if placed in the United States, this city would reach from New York City to Denver, Colorado, and from Canada to Florida. That's about three-fourths of the entire United States. You say, well, why is that such a blessing? Listen, I think John is just being given a vision that says there's room for everybody. There's room for everybody. And that may very well be why, why there is no longer any sea. Now you have more room for people. And so it's, it's incredible, the, the measurements there, the measurements of this magnificent city. There's room enough for the saints You may say, well, few that are are, are, uh, going to enter in. Why do you have to have such a big thing? Plenty of room, and you may not realize it, but there'll be more people than you might imagine. How about all the aborted babies who never got to live their lives out? How about children who died before what we would call the age of accountability? We're not just talking about the United States, we're talking about the world now. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven, and there's going to be enough room for everybody so heaven is a place of great beauty, a place of great blessing. It is also a place for believers, for believers. In the midst of all this wonderful talk about heaven, the Lord suddenly stops and makes some statements about who's going to be in heaven. He says in verse 6 of Revelation 21, and by the way, as you go back to verse 5 I think John was just stunned by its beauty and blessing because he writes in verse 5 and he who sits on the throne said behold I'm making all things new and he said right for these words are faithful and true I imagine John just kind of stared and couldn't believe was stunned and the lord is saying John it's going to be this great and even greater right and so John goes back to writing in verse 6 says and he said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega The beginning and the end I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. First he identifies himself as the one who's completed the program of the ages. It's finished. It's all coming together. It's culminated. He's the alpha and the omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. In other words, in our vernacular, he would say, I'm the A, I'm the Z. I was here at the beginning to start it. I'm here at the end to complete it. He establishes the plan, and he completes the plan. He's God. He is the eternal God, is what he's saying. And as as God, he offers salvation to everyone who's thirsty, only he offers it in the language of water. If a person is spiritually thirsty, he can come to Jesus Christ and have free spiritual water, which is what we would call salvation. This This is an invitation. This is an invitation. He says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. In John's day, water was not readily available. It was very scarce. And they understood what it meant to be thirsty. Well, the invitation is open to all he's saying. The only requirement is that a person must be thirsty. In other words, the only requirement to come to Jesus Christ is that you must know your need. You must know that you need him for salvation. You see, let me explain something. There is a a wonderful ministry which uh, Calvary Baptist Church has, has put on recently uh, called uh, House of Judgment. And, it's, and it's, a, it's a great ministry and a lot of our young people have gone through it. And uh, it, it shows uh, something of what hell will be like. And they from what I hear, they've done a great job and that's a great church. But we want you to understand that a person who knows Jesus Christ doesn't just look at the horrors of hell and say, and say I don't want to go there, so I'll just pray to receive Christ. Now, that you'd have to be really wacko to see that and not want to go to hell. No one wants to go to a place like that. However, salvation is not just I don't want to go to hell. Salvation is seeing yourself as sinful, as self-centered, as wicked in your core and nature and understanding that you need salvation. You need salvation because you're wicked and Jesus Christ died for your for your wickedness. It isn't just that you want to escape the horrors of hell. Everybody would want to escape the horrors of hell. But salvation is for a person who sees their sinfulness and wants to turn from that sinfulness and turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and a new life in which he reigns over them. So I want I want to balance that. I want to balance that. Uh, A picture of hell may motivate you and push you in the direction of heaven, but salvation is is for those who see their need and are thirsty, thirsty, and they come to Jesus Christ not just to escape the torment of hell, but they come to him because they are sick of their sin and they want to trust him. That's all part of it, but I just want to to balance that out. So the invitation is open to all. Only requirement is that a person must be thirsty and want to drink of the waters of forgiveness. You must see yourself as a sinner. You must see your need to be saved. You see, heaven will not be everybody's home. Heaven will not be everybody's home because it's a place only for believers. He says that in verse 7. And he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, what does it mean to overcome? The term overcomer is not reserved for super-duper saints. It's, it's not it at all. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 say that an overcomer is he who believes in Jesus Christ. The term overcomer is simply a, another title for a believer. He could have easily said a true believer, a true disciple. In chapters 2 and 3, he speaks of believers in Christ as overcomers. It's just assumed that we're going to overcome, that we're going to have some victory. And he says believers will inherit heaven. We're the only ones. Our inheritance is there. Notice verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. Shall inherit what? All the blessings of heaven. That's what we're going to inherit. Did you know that, that you're going to inherit A lot of things. I'm trying to get in my in-laws' will. I say things publicly. I commend on Mother-in-law's Day. But whether I make it or not, and I'll not give up. I want you to know that. There is a greater inheritance waiting for each one of us. The present things of earth are really not that important. Do you understand that? As believers in Christ, and, and I take it that most of you are, the things of this world are not that important. You may desire them but don't live for them. It's all right to to want some of these things. It's wrong to uh, to make them idols and crave them, that you must have them or else you can't be happy. You're going to inherit so much more. After the great Chicago fire of 1871, evangelist D.L. Moody went back to his house in Chicago to find that all had been destroyed by that fire. And a friend said to Moody, I hear that you lost everything. And D.L. Moody said, well... You understood wrong. I didn't lose everything. I have so much more left that I didn't lose. And the man said, what do you mean? I didn't know that you were a wealthy man. And Moody opened his Bible to Revelation 21.7, which says, He who overcomes shall inherit these things. No matter what is taken from you, whether it be by fire or be by any other means, No matter what is taken from you, you have so much more. Remember Revelation 21.7. You'll inherit so much more. Do not hold tightly to the things of this world, but we are to look forward to our inheritance in heaven. That's where your citizenship really, really is. So overcomers are believers, and believers will occupy heaven. However, in contrast to the overcomers, verse 8 refers to people who were overcome by their sin, and they will not be in heaven. Verse 8 says, but for the cowardly, and unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, which is a way of, of simply saying eternal hell. These are unbelievers, the ones who refuse the invitation to come to Christ. They say, but wait a minute, I, I, I sometimes have fallen into those sins. Let me just explain. These people that he's describing did not fall into these sins. Their lives are characterized by these sins. You shouldn't fall into it at all, but we want to make a clear distinction. You may, for example, at times lie, but there is a distinction between lying at times and being a liar. Being a liar means it's your lifestyle, it's your habit of life, you don't struggle with it, you don't repent over it, you don't even care about it, that's just the way it is. You may call it exaggeration, you may call it white lies, it's okay, that's what a liar is. You may at times have fallen into immorality, but if you stay there, then you are an immoral person and you are not a believer. Your life does not evidence being a believer. Unbelievers, that's what they're, where their lives are at. No repentance. And notice verse 27, the same chapter. Nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. See, heaven is only for believers. But only for those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Today, our large cities are noted for their crime, pornography, violence, obscenity, and things like that. But in that great day and in that great city, there'll be none of that. Only believers are there and perfect believers. Nobody else. No rebellion, no violence, no sin. That's heaven. He said, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name written in the Lamb's book of life? You trust the Lamb. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You trust that, that when he went to the cross, he went to the cross for you. And all of your sins were paid for. Hell is paying for your sins forever. Heaven are for those who have seen that their sins already were taken care of. And they have trusted Jesus Christ. And in that trust, they have repented, which means they've they've." turned from their sin they've changed their mind about their sin they don't want to continue in their sin and they have yielded to his lordship that's what heaven is heaven is a place of great beauty heaven is a place of great blessing but it is a place only for believers because only believers have trusted the savior have you trusted him have you turned your life over to him and trusted him as the only way to heaven church won't get you there baptism won't get you there. Even just a a, a prayer that's motivated only by fear of hell won't get you there. There must be a need you see in your life to be delivered from the power and the penalty of sin.
1: As we've just heard, a simple fear of punishment is not enough to bring us to saving trust in the Lord Jesus and an amazing eternity with him. But a recognition of our need for Him to rescue us from our sinful natures is the first step of redemption. If you'd like more information about trusting in Christ as your personal Savior from sin, get ready for the phone number I'll have for you in just a moment. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues this series of messages that answers many of our questions about heaven. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For information about Lakeside, or to find out how you can know for sure that you have eternal life, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is listener supported, and we're thankful for the generous listeners who help us stay on the air. You can give by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or through the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. There's also a message archive page where you can download or stream any of our previous broadcasts at no cost. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. One popular idea about heaven is that since there will be no death, that would include the deaths of animals, and therefore, we won't eat meat. I sometimes tell my friends that my glorified body will need to be very different from my present body if I'm going to be happy in heaven but won't get to eat bacon. Well, Pastor Steve has spent a good deal of time helping us get a feel for what heaven will really be like. But do you ever wonder what we'll be like? The Bible says we will be changed. But how will we be different? Some of the ideas floating around are not only wrong, they're dangerous. We'll learn about that on the next verse by verse.